good to be here with you again today. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. And I realized we're not, we're not going, doing Sunday school as such at Strasburg yet, and so I don't dig into my Sunday school lesson as much as I should probably. But um, I had some thoughts that James picked up in looking at me. But basically they are this. When you get to messing with people's pocketbooks, you're treading on dangerous territory. Uh, so I appreciated what was shared this morning from that Sunday school lesson. And then I also realized that this goes down a little bit the line of some of the thoughts this morning. I entitled this message, and then I added a second title after I read this passage. So I want to start reading from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, even Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof, but when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not, the pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send them to Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roar upon him and yell, and they made his land waste. His cities are burned without an inhabitant. Also the Tehapanese uh, have broken the crown of thy head. 
Hast thou not procured this unto thyself, in that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he led thee by the way? And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt, to drink the waters of Sihor? Or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria, to drink the waters of the river? Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. A beautiful picture and a um, wilderness picture. Wish I could get a different word for that second one. Jeremiah is telling Israel, what did God do that after all he's done for you, he led you through a waste place where there are no inhabitants, nobody lives there, and yet you've still forsaken him. He said, even the, the nations that have gods that are no gods don't change from one god to another like you all have done. The title I put in second was from verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They have, one, forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and two, they've hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, when I first put the titles down, I put down springs and ditches. And you'll understand where that came from in a little bit. And then I added fountains and cisterns. But I realized that's not correct. Sunday school lesson said you can't serve this and this. It's either this or this. So I changed my titles and I put down springs or ditches, fountains or cisterns. So, those of you that are 15 or younger, you know what it is when we use the term cistern? You know what a cistern is? 15 or younger, if you know what a cistern is, let me see your hand. Okay. How many of you know what a cistern is from experience? Okay. Yes, we drank from a cistern. My dad put a filter, made a filter out of gravels and sand and so forth, and we filtered the water that ran off of the roof, and we drank it. Sometimes we had to go out and repair cracks, so we had drinking water. When it didn't rain enough, we called Long's water hauling, and they'd haul us a load of water. I wouldn't say that's my choice of drinking water anymore, but it worked. We keep fresh water for the cows to drink. We try to clean the watering trough up every once in a while. But you know those cows still insist on drinking out of mud holes.
We put fences around those low spots to keep the cows out of the mud holes. I thought, you know, that's not too much different than people. We have the pure water of God. But too many times we're going to the mud holes of the world for our direction. And sometimes we even put up fences. Where do we go for answers? Where do we look when we're looking for what to do and how to do it? Jeremiah 17, you don't need to turn to this. I have it printed here. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Sounds pretty much like the wilderness experience of the children of Israel. God led them through and cared for them in a wilderness. He likens that man that trusts in man and makes flesh his strength to a shrub in the desert. Somebody that doesn't even know what it's like to get a fresh drink of water. Next verse, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spread out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, because its but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Good many years ago, we planted some small willow trees by the stream. Today, they're not very small anymore because they were planted where they could get plenty of water, plenty of nutrients. Philip Keller said this, In the Christian life, as in the life of a tree, we must face the fact that we are continually crowded and surrounded by earthly attractions, by human philosophies, by people with worldly concepts. We're surrounded by that today. So do we go to that influence for finding direction in life, or do we go to the influence of the Word of God? Now, what I'm going to do now is I have a few famous predictions from some intelligent people. Um, I'm not real smart. I still go to... Uh, intelligent people, sometimes intelligent people of the world on how to do some things, basically from a material standpoint. But there's a number of these statements that were made, predictions that were made as it relates to technology that you might find a little interesting. But yet we go to man for our input in life. In 1949... Popular mechanics 
forecasting the relentless march of science, said this, Computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tons. But when's the last time you saw a computer that weighed over 100 pounds, much less 1.5 tons? Tom Watson, the chairman of IBM, said this in 1943. I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. The editor in charge of business books for Prentice Hall said this in 1957. This was said in my lifetime. I have traveled the length and breadth of this country and talked with the best people, and I assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last out a year. That's pretty smart. The engineer at the Advanced Computing Systems Division of IBM said this in 1968 about the microchip. But what is it good for? President, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977. I've been married this long, okay? There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. That's just 40-some years ago. Today, we can't do without a computer. At least we think we can't. Switching gears just a little bit. Those under 10 years old, do you know what a telephone is? Now, I'm not talking about this thing that dad carries around on his belt or that mom carries in her purse. I'm talking about something that's on the wall. Do you remember what a telephone is? I see one person back here that's brave enough to put his hand up. This is what Western Union, an internal memo at Western Union. Now, this was a long time ago. This was back in 1876. They said this, the telephone or this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Smart men making these predictions. Davey, you'll like this one because it relates to school and the classroom. This is from a Yale University management professor in response to a student's paper proposing reliable overnight delivery service. This professor said this, the concept is interesting and well-informed, but in order to earn better than a C, the idea must be feasible. He was saying that to the person that went on to found FedEx. That was, uh, I don't have a date on that one. 
And the last one I want to mention, how many of you know what, or know who I'm talking about when I say Bill Gates? Okay, a good many of you. He's one of the richest men, maybe in the world, at least in this country. He made this statement in 1981. $640,000 ought to be enough for anybody. Twenty-four years after that, in 2005, he finished his house. Sixty-six thousand square feet. Took seven years to build. It has a trampoline room, a 60-foot pool, an underground garage, an enormous library with secret bookcases, 24 bathrooms, six kitchens. Made it time-consuming to build. It cost him $63 million. Almost a hundred times what he said was enough for anybody to build his house. In 2017, which would have been 12 years after it was finished, the county department of assessments valued his house at more than double what it would cost him to build it, $127 million. His current net wealth worth is in excess of $90 billion. Pretty good place to go for direction, isn't it? Man. Not according to what my Bible says. This is what God said 4,500 years ago, roughly. Then Noah built an ark, built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Has he broken that promise? Has he not been able to fulfill that promise? I stopped a verse early. Those of you that know Genesis know that I stopped a verse too early. Verse 22 of Genesis 8 says this, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So, considering some of these things that I've mentioned, where am I going for what I need in life? To the man that has ever-changing ideas and advice, or to God that never changes and has a perfect track record. God's track record is perfect. What he predicted
comes to pass, what he predicts come to, comes to pass. I'm going to read a parable that will give you the answer to where springs and ditches comes from for the first title that I gave. And this is a parable from uh, the book Parables from Peru. The parable of the well of water. In this region in which we dwell, there falleth no rain, but rather are the fertile plains watered from canals which bring water from the river. So it is that irrigation ditches abound, yea, they encompass every field round about. Now these ditches have sundry functions, for they bring water in for to irrigate, and also do they capture irrigation runoff so that the next field receives the fertilizers, chemicals, and weed seeds of the previous field. And not only do these ditches serve to water the plains, but they also, but they are also an efficient garbage disposal ne network for the inhabitants of the land. For in them do they empty their household refuse and soiled pampers, and the ditch carries them away, even out of their sight. And verily I say unto thee that I have seen many a toilet straddling the ditch, so that the refuse which falleth from it is neatly carried away. And my neighbors draw water from the ditch for to drink, so that the ditch is unto them both water and sewer. After this manner are the manifold purposes of the ditch to the inhabitants of this land. Now when I brought my family up out of the wicked city and into the watered plains, then did I prepare a place for them to dwell, and also did I dig a well of water. For to this North American mind is pure drinking water a basic household necessity. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. I remember not too terribly many years ago. Well, you know, it's probably been more years ago than I was thinking. Um, when somebody from this congregation went to Africa and drilled wells. Um, what is sharing about 17 or 18 now, so it's been probably 20 years ago that Steve Good went to Africa and drilled wells for water. All right, continuing to read. So I and my servants dig, yea, each day did we dig two cubits, or about three feet. With a spade did we dig, and with a vessel did we draw up the dirt. So we toiled on until the depth thereof measured sixty and six cubits, or about a hundred feet. And the breadth thereof was two cubits, which is three feet again. I'm going to stop there a little bit, because... I cannot imagine this guy crawling down in a hole 20 feet deep and digging for water. But he did. They dug for water down to 100 feet and carried it up by the bucket full, continuing to read. Now it came to pass at 30 and 8 cubits that the digging of the well discovered a vein of quartz. And in the vein of quartz did mine eyes behold many sparkles of gold. And we brought forth our scrolls and searched diligently in them until we understood the attributes of real gold versus fool's gold. Then did I draw out a small flake and test it, and lo, it was not fool's gold, but real gold. 
And I spake soberly unto my children and said unto them, The gold shall we leave in the well. Only take heed that you tell no man. It came to pass that the blessing of our God was upon the work, for the well brought forth abundant water. The water was pure and sweet and good to drink, and the inhabitants of the land marveled at the digging of the well, and they admired greatly the sparkling water that it brought forth. And they esteemed me highly for this great accomplishment. For none of them had access to pure water, nor had their fathers, so that this was a new thing unto them. And this luxury was marvelous in their eyes. It came to pass in the coming days that a neighbor spake unto me and said, Lo, we now perceive that water from a well is good and pure, and that water from a ditch is evil and defiled. Thou hast indeed, thou indeed hast something of great value. And I answered and said, Behold, thou couldst have the same. For the digging of a well doth not require great riches and strength, but rather it requires both vision and commitment. Lo, if thou and thy son would take up a spade and dig in thine own field in thirty days, thou mightest have water that thou and thine household might drink for thirty years if the Lord tarry. And lo, I will help thee. The idea indeed tickled his mind and his eyes shone, but the days did turn into months, and his spade lay still wrapped in a napkin. And many inhabitants of the land spoken to me after the manner of the first, and I answered them also the same. Then some were indeed more enthused than others, but lo, none of them have yet taken up their spade. It came to pass that after a time that the first neighbor spake unto me again and said, Behold now, thou hast digged a well and hast abundant water and pure to drink. Tell me, I pray thee, why should I do the same when I am your neighbor who is nigh unto thee? Suffer me to draw water from thy well for me and mine household. And I answered and said unto him, Be it even as thou sayest. For if thou wilt purchase and lay pipe from the well into thine house, then shalt thine household have pure water. And in exchange thou shalt suffer me and my family to eat apples and grapes from thy vineyard which lieth near my house. So he went his way and did accordingly. And he was well pleased. Now when the other inhabitants of the land saw what the first had done, then did they perceive that they could do likewise. And it came to pass that a second neighbor came also and spake unto me after the manner of the first. And I answered him the same, saying, If thou lay thy pipe unto thine house, thou and thine household shall drink pure water hereafter. And the saying pleased him, and he departed. Yet did the days pass one by one without him laying the pipe. And even as he spent his money on many things, yet did he not spend it on pipe. And the months passed as did the years. Now mine heart did yearn for my neighbor, so that I spake unto him from time to time, lest he think me selfish with my water. And he answered me and said, Yea, some day will I put in this pipe. Yet did he not. But one day was the truth of his heart revealed, for he said unto me, Behold, all my life have I been drinking out of this ditch, and lo, it hath done me no harm. I'm going to read that again, because I think we see this too much in our lifetime. 
Behold, all my life have I been drinking out of this ditch, and lo, it hath done me no harm. So I perceived that while the pure water of life was attractive unto him, yet it had not enough priority in his life for him to put forth much effort to receive it. For as the dog returneth to his vomit, and as the sow to her wallowing in the mire, so did he return to his contaminated ditch water, even when the pure water of life was nigh unto him. And I spake unto my good wife, and I said, Lo, we have lived out the good news before the inhabitants of this land. And while they like it and admire it, yet few are willing to do what it takes to receive it. Behold now this neighbor, for as he hath done with his nat- this natural water, so hath he done with the water of life. And lo, his attitude toward one of his, and lo, his attitude toward one is his attitude toward the other. And together did my wife and I ponder the many parallels and lessons from the parable of the well of water. And I opened my mouth again and said, Behold now the value of the water of life. And behold how our God offereth it so freely to all mankind. And do not we ring out his invitation on every side? Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Ditches or springs. It's not one and the other, it's one or the other. Isaiah 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. The Lord Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal, almighty, is my strength and song and salvation. And because of that, we will draw water out of the wells of salvation. In the New Testament, Jesus was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm sorry, thinking about the uh, Good Samaritan now. But anyhow, he needs to go through Samaria. Verse 5 of John 4 says this, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to me, to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. We'll stop there just a little bit. We're drinking from the clear, pure springs of living water daily, then that spring is going to overflow to others. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Don't believe at this point the woman fully understood what she was what he was talking about yet. Jesus then tells her to call her husband and she sort of does the distraction thing after she finds out that he knows a good bit about her. She said, Where is the place to worship? Verse twenty three and following Jesus says this. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way to the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. The disciples went to town to get food, and they brought food back. Jesus refused that food. He told his disciples, the harvest isn't in four months, it's now. Then verse 39 says this, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I'm confident that at least most of you are drinking from the fountain of living water. You're drinking from the springs and not the ditches or the broken cisterns. I 
I want to read again a couple of verses that I started with. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. It's my choice. It's your choice. Whether we're going to live in that parched land that's not inhabited and just be an old shrub out in the desert. Or, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Let's drink from the fountains and the springs. I ought to say from the fountain instead of fountains. And I know in Jeremiah it talks about you've rejected me, the fountain. I better look at that. It is singular there, too. Let's drink from the fountain and from the spring and not the cisterns and the ditches. The Lord bless you as you faithfully serve him.